Okay. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna, to, in our foundation for the book of Acts chapter 10, we're going to start in Ephesians 3. But what's unique about um, Acts chapter 10 in, in the scheme of things, in the big scheme of things as it relates to the plan of the church, who could tell me what's unique about Acts chapter 10? We've been starting to see little foreshadows of this, and now it's here. Go ahead. declares that don't declare anything unpure that I have made clean. And so it's a complete switch in the view of the Jews. Yeah. Now there's this <clears throat> very good. That's, that's perfect. It's a, uh, it's the Gentiles. Does everybody know what a Gentile is? A Gentile is just a non-Jew, which to us is like, Oh yeah, yeah no big deal. You know, everybody's we're, our culture is like, we're, we're full of different races and all these colors and all this stuff. And, and, but back in this time, um, the word of God, be, you know, being outside of the Jewish people, going to the Gentiles, would be as scandalous as me saying, we're not going to, we're going to have only one certain race in our church and that's it. That would be like, Pat has lost his mind, right? <clears throat> or one certain culture group, or whatever the case be, Pat would lot. That's how crazy it was for the Jewish people to believe that, I mean, they knew that God was ultimately going to become king of the world and all the nations were going to come before him, but they only thought that that was going to be fully realized in the next age when the king was literally sitting on the throne of Israel, the king of David's lineage. They never thought in a million years that it would happen like this. And so when we look at this, we have to put this lens of Jew and Gentile over the New Testament writings because there was a major, major uh, job. And that's why I believe the Apostle Paul was raised up to try to, to not do, make two churches because that's really what the Jewish people at the time wanted because they thought they were being faithful to the God of the Old Testament. We can't go outside of this realm. Okay, so you want to look at, especially the major books, <clears throat> you know, and I, I challenge you guys, if you want, to read the books at one shot. Um, let's say you're going for a walk, right? Go for a walk for 30 minutes, and you could put on, like, double speed. <laughs> Seriously, because the book of Romans... And you could listen to the whole book of Romans in about 30 to 40 minutes on double speed on Audible. All right? <laughs> you'll get used to it after like a minute and you'll, you'll love it, okay? If you want to bring your Bible with you. But listen to it with the, with the lens of Paul trying to show and communicate, we need to have one. We're one. We're unified in Christ. The law used to identify the people of God. But now faith in Christ identifies the people of God. The book of Galatians is all about that. About a 15, 20 minute read. Read it all in one shot and see that Paul is fighting for unity. That's why Paul is, when he says, I'm weeping for the church for you guys when I see this disunity. Because he knows that all his labor would be in vain. Why? Because what's coming out right now is something that has been hidden 
through the ages. And I want to, that's why I want to go to Ephesians 3, because I want you to put it in perspective. A lot of times we think of the people in the Old Testament of saying, oh yeah, we're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting, you know, expectantly for the, you know, they, almost like they know the gospel where Paul does say the gospel was preached to Abraham and in what way? Does anybody know how the gospel was preached to Abraham? What Paul's referring to? You want to take a guess? What's that? Well, God himself spoke to Abraham, but what did God promise Abraham? What was the promise? Yes, that Paul considered the gospel. So you see, that's what the Jewish people held on to. They knew God was going to come. They knew his king was going to sit on the throne. They knew all the nations were going to be blessed, but they didn't know how, what, where, when, why, all this other stuff. They knew a little bit from the prophecies about when the Messiah was going to come. So Paul is writing the book of Ephesians uh, to those people at Ephesus. And I think chapter three is, it's worth our time to take a read through this. Um, And I want, does anybody want to volunteer to read chapter three, like down to, let me see. Let's go down to verse seven. So who wants to read the first seven verses? You have it. Go ahead. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Mm. So Paul is saying here that the mystery of Christ, he's not saying a mystery of Christ. He's not saying that, you know, um, there was a couple of different things hidden from the Gentiles or hidden from the Jews, but they knew most of the stuff. No, the actual gospel, Paul is saying, was in the Old Testament concealed. I think, remember we talked about that last week. It's uh, the Old Testament is concealed and in the New Testament, that which is concealed in the old is now revealed. So the mystery of Christ is for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Now, does that minimize, does that minimize your view of the gospel? Does that is it too simplistic? I remember first thinking about this and saying, okay, so this is really the purpose of it, the gospel, so that it can go to the Gentiles. But to who first? The Jews. Then to the Gentiles. For the Jews, why? They were God's chosen people. They were the prophets. They were the ones that everything came down. They were God's people. He made a covenant with them. He made a promise with them. And he's saying to them, although I know most of them or many of them will reject it, they will hear the gospel first. And it came through Jesus, obviously a Jew. But why I'm saying this is that the purpose of the gospel is for it to go to the world. But that was a hidden mystery in the Old Testament. 
But Paul is saying that without the gospel going to the Gentiles, to the world, it's not really the gospel. The good news is for the world. And that is such an amazing uh, thing. When I look at it and go, wow, this mystery in here, this was God's intention from the beginning, was for everyone to hear about Jesus Christ and receive the opportunity to get their sins forgiven. We're going to talk again a lot of, uh, we're going to talk more about this in sermon. I say that every week because a lot of these things connect. (laughs) So I don't want to preach my sermon quite yet, but I just wanted to show you that because here's where we are in the book of Acts. We're at the book of Acts and now we saw the eunuch. He was from Ethiopia. We saw Peter going to Simon the Tanner's house, who obviously was a was a Gentile because he was the guy that would, uh, would, would make leather and that sort of stuff. But now we see Peter being specifically called by God to go speak to a man. <clears throat> so let's look at this. Who is the man that God spoke to first? Cornelius. So Gab, you told me you read this chapter. Did anybody else read it beforehand by any chance? Gab, why don't you talk about Cornelius and tell everybody what, who Cornelius is in your best um, version of it. You don't have to worry about being perfect. Mm-hmm. But who was he? Um, he was a, a centurion uh, who, like, everyone respected, the Jews respected as well because he's a God-fearing man and his family as well. And they were just, like, they were very generous and everything. Just everyone respected him. Yes. What does that tell us about Cornelius? Was he, was Cornelius uh, saved by works? Hey, was Cornelius going, uh, was God saying, okay, let's get the, let's get the gospel out to the Gentiles. And who's the, like a really, really good guy down there that we can give it to? Cornelius, yeah, he's a, I think it was because he was Italian. I mean, I just have that. Yeah, from, you know. I think that's Greek. <laughs> no, no, he, it says, it's, it says here, yeah, the Italian cohort, right. He would be a big mouth. Yes, <laughs> he would. He would be a big mouth to proclaim the gospel. That's great. That's fun. But, but second, let's jump around here. Second Chronicles 16.9. Does anybody know that? It was probably a fighter verse. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And so, yes, Cornelius gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. And God... <clears throat> blessed him for that. This is not a, this is not a theological text uh, to talk about soteriology or the, how people necessarily get saved or the order of salvation or anything like that. This is a historical narrative. God had, God had ministered to Cornelius because Cornelius was a sinner like all of us. And God had drawn him to want to seek after him like he does for each of us. And he was preparing him to be able to be the vehicle um, 
for this amazing point in the history of the church, and that is to be that first Gentile family, to be that example of everything that was happening to the Jewish people. I think this is why he, uh, these things played themselves out the way they did. Everything that was happening to the Jewish people in terms of the gospel and the Holy Spirit was now happening to the Gentiles. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what do you think? Well, let's talk about some of those things. Um, does, anybody, does anybody know why Peter was called? Where was Peter at the time was at where he was at Joppa, right? Let me get my map out. Okay, I have copies of this if you need it. So as you can see, Peter is hanging out at Joppa and Cornelius lives where? Caesarea. Cornelius lives in Caesarea. Who was in Caesarea? Who remembers? Philip is there, right? That's like sending, it's like, you know, we're here in Freehold and there's somebody here that God wants to be ministered to, but instead of calling us, he calls, you know, somebody from Lakewood to come up here and minister to them. Why does God do that? I don't know. Maybe Philip did minister to Cornelius, Maybe Philip did run into him. We could speculate on that. The scripture doesn't say that. But the scripture does tell us that he chose Peter to go and to do this. Why do you think he chose Peter for that? From a scriptural perspective on what, think about Peter in the book of Acts, if you've read it. Think about Peter in the Galatians. Think about, you know, some of the flaws that Peter had. Why do you think God chose Peter to go up to Caesarea rather than just say, Philip, can you just go around the corner and talk to this guy? He's right there. Anybody have any ideas? Peter was seen to struggle with like accepting Gentiles as, as a Jew or associating with them in that way. Yeah. And just in his kind of own pride in being like a clean Jew and not associating with anything that was unclean. And so I also as like a, a, a big leader in the church at that time, yeah. it would be like a, a huge thing for people to see him associate with Jesus. That was, that's, it's a, that was awesome. So exactly. So Peter struggled. Well, how did Peter struggle? <clears throat> see, Peter was, a, we know that Peter was the guy that if, you know, if Peter was sitting here and he said, I know one of you guys, I know everybody, like Jesus said, you know, you're all going to depart from me on this very night. Peter said, are you crazy, Lord? There's no way I'm going to depart from you. And look, we see, read verse 14. After, after this, Peter's lying on the roof, because that's what they used to do. They'd hang out on the housetops. Peter's sleeping and a vision comes down with this big, great sheet with all these four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And says, Peter, voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. What's verse 14 say? Somebody read verse 14. Not all at once. (laughs) One at a time. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Yeah. 
Does that sound like something Peter would say? It does, right? By no means, Lord, you know me. I would never do this. No way. Come on, Peter. I'm going to give you a little grace, and I'm going to say it a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened there three times, and then three times. Knucklehead Peter, right? So, I mean, that makes me feel good when I see this, because it makes me know that God uses flawed people. He does. He uses people that are hard-headed. He uses people that are prideful. He uses people that are overly zealous, and he does it in his own time. So Peter obeyed. He obeyed. And now, so here's um, here's a cool little side note here. Does anybody else remember, and I think Luke put this in here to show us uh, this this pivot point. Um, Does anybody else remember Joppa in the scriptures in the Old Testament? Does anybody remember someone fleeing to Joppa from the Lord? Who's that, Jonah? Jonah. That's right. Who was Jonah called to go preach to? Ninevites. Who were they? Gentiles. They were pagans. They were vicious people. They were people you would not want to get into a war with back then. So we have Peter, who he's in, goes to Joppa, right? And we have, we have Jonah going to Joppa, running from the Lord. And then at Joppa, Jonah is, is, gets on the boat and runs rather than go to the Gentiles. But Peter goes and he receives the, the message and he obeys. Now, <clears throat> what is kind of cool about it is who is Peter the son of in the scriptures? Peter, the son of Jonah. And so I think, nothing in scripture is by accident, I think Luke is hinting towards the fact that, look, Peter is in fact being obedient. Back in the Old Testament, Jonah rejected and was swallowed by a whale or a big fish, whatever you want to call it, and was in there for three days. He came out and he went and he preached. Peter Son of Jonah, because I think we have right here. um, Nope, I thought it said it there in the text. But we have Peter, son of Jonah, being being sent over there. I thought that was a a neat little uh, parallel about what is happening here. What's this is for real? The the Gentiles are now Peter's being obedient. The Gentiles are going to hear this. Um, now, <clears throat> also, let's look at another thing. Anybody have any comments on that? <clears throat> What's in the verses? So Peter, okay, so Cornelius also gets a, a, a vision and says, You're, you know, go call. Let me see here what it says. Yeah. 
So Peter on the next day, okay, Cornelius was waiting for them. They got together and got closer. Peter entered. Okay, so Peter goes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius falls down. Peter says, stand up. I too am just a man. And he talked with him and um, he discussed what happened. Cornelius told him that he was praying during the ninth hour. He said, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who was also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. So he sent for him. And he said, now now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. So we're seeing here that although Cornelius could have been a proselyte of the Jews, he, he loved the Jews, he did all this, but he needed to hear the message of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Peter goes, and very succinctly, Luke tells us in 34, he opens his mouth. He starts to speak the word of God. And we have the gospel here from verses 34 all the way down to verses 43. Let's read that for a second. Let's just, um, well, I'll just read it because I'll, and then we'll give a, uh, somebody else a chance to if you want to. But most certainly understand now that God is not the one to show partiality, he says. In verse 35, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. <clears throat> the, word what he sent, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Again, remember, Peace, when you see peace associated with the gospel, there are, there are overtones of Caesar, okay? Caesar was Lord. Caesar was the one to bring peace. Caesar was the one to bring freedom and prosperity. Free, Caesar and Rome were the ones that were going to provide and protect the people. So that's why Peter, uh, Luke adds it in here, his Peter's words, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Not Caesar, Cornelius, who you work for. Not your boss. It's a new boss now. And he says, you know what? You yourselves, you know the thing that took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, from the baptism of John. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. Again, you know, None of this stuff contradicts our theology now. We can explain a lot of this stuff. But you got to understand that the people at this time didn't have the whole entire Christian theology worked out like we do today. It's, we had spent 2,000 years figuring this out. Okay? <laughs> they didn't have all this stuff. So, you know, when he says these things, he's talking just as a, a, a person that, was a Jew, and spent three years with Jesus. And so you want to make sure you always put the, the lens of where, what you're reading. And again, this is a historical um, narrative of what was going on. And then he talks about the death of Jesus. He talks about the cross, verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, now why does he say this? Who ate and drank with him 
after he arose from the dead. Why does he say that? We're witnesses. Do dead people eat and drink? Nope. Aunt, you got something? No, I was just uh, saying, yeah, they don't, um, like, prove that he was, uh, like, actually living, not just um, a spirit. Right. Wasn't that going around at the time? Yes, Gnosticism, Jesus was this spirit going around. He, He wasn't a real full man. So, hey, we ate and drank with him. But remember, this is Luke writing this. Now, look what Luke says about Jesus in verse in chapter 22. I always like this. This is said elsewhere as well, probably three or four times in the New Testament. Luke 22, verse 15. And this is the Last Supper. Take, let's look at... Um, 15, okay. And, uh, and he said to them, I have earnestly, does this Jesus, desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until... The kingdom of God comes. And so Luke makes it a very clear point here and in other places that Jesus sat down and ate and drank with his apostles and his disciples, showing that that in fact he did rise from the dead and that the kingdom of God did, has in fact come. It has broken in. Now there's, we're going to be, you know, However, you take the marriage supper of the lamb, the symbolism there, um, there is going to be, I believe, a lot of that when the kingdom comes in its fullness. It's eating and drinking is the most uh, vivid form of intimacy and fellowship outside of a wife and a, a man and woman in the scriptures. And eating and drinking is showing that we are one, that we are united in Christ. So if I put, if you, we, when something special happens, right, when we all sit down and eat together, there's a special bond there that we're sharing. But what it meant back here in this time was even more significant if you sat down and ate with someone. And when you drink the fruit of the vine, we're taking this fruit of the vine and this bread, and we're drinking the same one and partaking in it. So in essence, That same bread and wine is in all of us, and that's unifying us. And so there's a special unity there. So he's he's talking, and and Cornelius, I believe, is understanding this. And so they ate and drank, and he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead, of him All the prophets bear witness that through his name and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And then Peter says, if you can just donate today and give some tithes and offerings and come up here, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that what he says? No, Peter doesn't know what's going on. Peter's just preaching. He's just talking. He's probably feeling a little weird and uncomfortable being in a Gentile's house for the first time. 
He's probably going, what if that was Satan, the angel of light telling me to do this and I'm in big trouble. How am I gonna do this? God says, no. What does God do immediately after that? Comes down. While Peter was still speaking these words, like I'm talking to you right now, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. So again, we see another act of somebody in a different way, hearing the gospel and getting that baptism, that empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Here we see it happen at the the point of conversion. Or maybe he was already converted and now he got anointed with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him in a special way. For what? When do we see this happen? When do we see that power come down? What have we been talking about? What's the pattern? That's right. When we do service and ministry for the Lord, he's equipping us with that additional blessing. It's not something we could garner up. It's not something we can make happen, but it's something we should pray and expect and believe for when we know we have to step out. Now, Cornelius, he is probably the uh, catalyst for a lot of people hearing the word of God, the Gentiles. Imagine that. And we, we know that the gospel, by the time Paul gets executed, in one of his letters, good morning, in one of his letters, he says, and the people of Caesar's household greet you as well. It's one of the, it's one of the uh, epistles that Paul wrote. So here we see the gospel going all the way into Caesar's household. I can't help but think that this stemmed from this major pivot point of now the, the, the Roman cohort. Because you see, I'm sorry, the Italian cohort. Caesarea was a major military base for Rome to watch over Jerusalem. So they had Pilate and all his troops But in case of rebellion or in case of any type of insurrection, they would light the torches and the the army, a whole battalion, a whole cohort would come down. A cohort can be up to 6,000. A cohort can be as small as 100. But it's up there in Caesarea. It was a big stronghold that Rome had. It was a bustling, it was a, it was a, a happening place, like a New York City. Okay. And so, They were ready to come down and storm into here. So Cornelius getting converted only went one way, and that went back up to Rome because he probably shared with with the people. There were people there at his house as well. This all, the Holy Spirit fell down and all the circumcised believers, meaning all the Jews, all the ones that were following the law, Because that was the key, the circumcision. If you did not have that, the cutting of the flesh, there's no way you could be a part of the Jewish community. So they were amazed because the gift, the gift, the gift, right? Here, take this. Don't give me anything. It's a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Poured out. And, now, and, and they just happened to react. They, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. 
These are people like, they weren't watching, you know, Benny Hinn for six months practicing on how to speak tongues. Okay? This is, you know, this is God coming down and they don't know what's going on. But they are rejoicing and they are praising and they are exalting God. And so Peter said, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. Who wants to read Acts chapter 2, verse 17? Somebody read that. Yeah, this is, the, this is the prophecy, right, that Peter's explaining. Give me some context on it, Rebecca. <laughs> um, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Good, and who, what's the context around that verse? What's going on there? Who's speaking that? Uh, uh, Peter is speaking at Pentecost. Peter is speaking at Pentecost. So Peter is speaking to the Jews at Pentecost after the Holy Spirit came down. And now God is actually fulfilling part of that prophecy right here in front of Peter's eyes. Because what it says is that in these last days, I will pour my spirit on all mankind. That doesn't mean every single person. That means all sorts of people, meaning outside of the Jewish camp, the Gentiles too. Peter's speaking this in the power of the Holy Spirit after he just got filled with the Holy Spirit. He was just speaking in tongues. Everyone was going, what's going on? And he says, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. And he reads that verse that Rebecca just read, which is from Joel chapter two. But now here we see Peter say to say it right here. Although the believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift had been poured out on the Gentiles And Peter answered in verse 47, what? They received the Holy Spirit just as we did. I can't help but Peter going, praise the Lord. I think Peter's probably thinking, wow. He's like, I I remember this from somewhere. I remember talking about this. Oh yeah, it it was me talking about this at the day of Pentecost. And now he's starting to see it. And so it's just an amazing thing to see how the Lord said one thing in the beginning, And he's always incredibly obedient to his word. It always comes forth. It always comes to pass. In the book of Acts, when you start to read it like this, and you start to see it like this, you start to see that this is exactly what's happening. And we started out, uh, um, Debbie and Hubert, about talking about in Ephesians 3, if you get a chance later, read it, about the mystery of the gospel that was hidden in the ages before in the Old Testament it is, is that the Gentiles would hear it. The non-Jews would hear it. And so it was a mystery. But now in chapter 10, we're seeing that mystery come exposed and everybody's going, wow. And everyone, it's like <clears throat> in filmmaking, filmmakers, if they're good, what they do is they'll do something really, they'll give you hints throughout the whole movie to make you feel like at the end of the movie to make you feel real smart, right? 
They don't come out. Anybody that says something exactly that what's going on in a scene, that's over. The, it makes us feel dumb, right? Like, why are you telling me that? I want to figure, you know, you're, 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 you're being too, we call it on the nose. Don't be on the nose. If the scene is about what the scene is about, the scene is not about that. It's, that's what people say. If the scene is about what the scene is about, it's terrible. If somebody comes in smiling, know that they're probably upset. Okay, and that's what it is. It's like, you know, that's how we, we connect movies, right? But then something happens in the end that's revealed in a movie and all of a sudden you feel super smart because you, the whole entire movie is rush, you're rushing back through the whole, the whole movie and going, yes, I knew, and then this guy did that and this guy's eyebrow went up and da, 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 da. I can't believe it, it's happening like this. And you're like, wow, that was a great movie, right? That was awesome. And a good storyteller will do that. They'll hide it, they'll hide it, they'll expose it, and they'll let you figure it out, make you feel smart, and now you like the movie, okay? And so I believe that's what's going on with Peter here. I mean, could you imagine what everything's rushing back? All the things that have been happening, all the little hints that have been going on. He's blown away by it. So what does he do? In chapter 11, he goes to Jerusalem, And he basically, chapter 11, is him retelling everybody at Jerusalem because he was getting in trouble. Look at verse 2 in chapter 11. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. You went to an uncircumcised man and ate with him? Do you know what that's, you're eating with that man. You're saying you're one with that man. You're saying that you and that man have a brotherhood, a fellowship, and you eat and break bread. We were just saying... Your, that bread is in your body and my body. That makes us symbolically one. You can't sit down and eat. That's why if, it's, if your enemy sat down and ate with you or someone that ate with you betrayed you, it's like it's, it's, it's the worst betrayal. Like David said, you sat at my own table and ate with me and you lifted up your heel against me. And that's the same thing with Judas. Peter says, <clears throat> he began speaking, verse four, and he told them an orderly sequence. He said the whole thing. He said they came down. The, the, he said the, the uh, sheet came down. They told me to go. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, verse 10. And behold, at that moment, just at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were saying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. Don't worry about it. The Spirit will tell you. So who can remember God speaking to somebody? No, I'm trying to get you guys involved here to make you think. But think about the beginning of the Gospels, particularly Luke's Gospel. Who is uh, Jesus running from? Well, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Who were they running from? Do you remember? In the very beginning after Jesus was born? Herod, right? God spoke to Joseph many times. I should say several times. The first time was, listen, don't leave your wife or leave your, the person you're betrothed to because she's been impregnated. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she's going to give birth and it's of me. And Joseph believed the spirit led him, right? Then 
after that, Joseph's running from Herod. And he says, don't go into, um, I forget where he was supposed to go, but he said to go to Egypt instead. He went and he listened. The spirit told him to go to Egypt and he listened. And then he said, after a while, Herod left and he said, now it's okay, go settle into Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth. And so we see here too that Luke is telling us here that this spirit told, told Peter to go without misgivings. What does that, what does that mean? Without misgivings. Without doubt. Don't question me. Trust me. And with all, without all the prejudice that they had against the It's a great point. Hard for them to do that. Lots of prejudice against, against the Gentiles. It's not a prejudice like we look at it today. It's not a racism thing or a... Or a you know, saying, oh, this, this, it's, it's not like that. The Jewish people just saw themselves as, and, and very rightly so, they had the God, the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, and they were commanded by that God to do things a certain way. So it wasn't like they were, I'm not saying all Jews weren't, but I'm sure a lot of them probably started to, you know, had, had problems with Gentiles. We know they called them dogs and all this other stuff. But for the most part, they didn't see it as that. They just say they were, they were the true people of God. But So here we have Peter or Luke telling us that it's the spirit. And I noticed that in my life when God speaks to me, not audibly, but when, when he's leading me through something, it's always, I always call, I call it a twofer. And that's what I've always called it because, and I'll say it to my wife, I, I got a twofer. I got two things that God spoke to me, that it's impossible for this to happen only, you know, other than God. Like, you know, like I'm praying about something and I'll go to God's word and I'll be like, this is exactly what I'm, what situation I'm in. And then right after that, I'll talk to somebody and they're having the problem and they came up and they're speaking it to me, you know, and now I'm like, that's God confirming what I read in his word. And so I, I suggest that you, you do that. Don't, Listen, God can do, talk to us however way he wants, but it's always good to have that confirmation from the spirit and God will give it to you. He'll give it to you. He'll, he will make sure that you know he is speaking to you. And so, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, here, here's the other thing I wanted to read. And he, so Peter's saying to them in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And thankfully for them, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And so then after that, we go to the church of Antioch. But I just thought that that's really where 11 should have ended. Um, I'm sorry, 10 should have ended and chapter 11 should start there. But anyway, I don't read the Bible. Thank God. Chapter divisions aren't inspired by the way 
I say that, so you know. What's that? They're man-made. That's right. Mm-hmm. They say that somebody told us just for that easiness of printing it. Yes. That just went so they could know where to cut it. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's helpful, you know, obviously to have it for us and to be able to just think if there was, if if they didn't have chapter divisions and verses, there'd be no fighter verses. <laughs> you, you know, so uh, anybody have anything to add? Comment? <clears throat> let's anybody have any application for me? Let's, let's apply this to our life somehow. Mm. Right about like oh that's that's a stain in the character or that's something that that, that should not be done or whatever it is. And I, <coughs> I I confess all the time to the Lord I dislike it a lot mm. that, that that I I go to judging just judging the motives or judging how things should be done because I know so much better you know and, and it's a, it's a constant thing and so it it's for us God accepts people and loves them mm. who am I. As, as Peter says, yeah. to do anything, <coughs> to do any different in any situation, mm. you know. And, but it's it's hard. It's a hard application. But it's I think it's a big one for us as believers that we believe in a God that is loving and accepting and accepted me. So mm. who, who can I reject? And that's that's awesome. And Peter had a hard time with it. You know, like look at the Book of Galatians where he wasn't sure. Like still, he was sitting. When the Jewish people came to town, he would he wouldn't sit with the Gentiles anymore. He'd sit with only with them, so he wouldn't be judged. It's not easy, but God gives. Get, see, this is where we have to come to God for that grace in the time of need. For that grace in the time of need, grace. Anybody else have any application? Something that was great. Thank you, Elvira. Anybody else have any application? Meaning, like, okay, so what? We just read this. So what? That's what you should be saying every time I preach or anybody preaches. So what, Pat? Told us all that stuff. What do we do now? Go ahead, Ant. I think uh, it's a good lesson is to uh, God can do the impossible or beyond what we think. And often God turns things on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last verse you read, it says they had no further objections mm-hmm. in the NIV. And, uh, when the Bible says things like that, it means that it was preceded by something that was turned off his head, like when the uh, Pharisees didn't question Jesus anymore. Yeah, right, exactly, right. I always get a giggle when it says they have no further objections. Yeah, right. They didn't question anymore. Right, they put him right in his place. The word of God, the Bible says, it shuts our mouth. It shuts mouths. It does. And so that's really cool. Romans 2. That every mouth will be shut. The law. So, um, anybody else have any last minute application? Hey, Ms. Vivian, how are you? All right. Well, next week we'll, we'll finish chapter 11 and maybe get into chapter 12. And um, I also want to encourage you guys that if you have questions about the sermon on Sunday to come to Sunday school and we could talk about those questions 
you know, openly in these, in these uh, maybe in the beginning of these meetings. I'm in no hurry to get through the book of Acts. We could take as long as we want. Um, these are reviews. So once we get to like chapter 19, we'll, we'll start going more verse by verse. And, um, but even then, we, you know, we, the Lord will lead us. But bring questions and we'd be happy to, 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 to be able to flesh those things out. <clears throat> well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for your amazing word, Lord, that um, cannot be resisted, God. And uh, I, I pray that you would be with us during our worship service, Lord, each of us here, and that you would become so real and so present with us today, Lord. Uh, please see our worship uh, as something that is incredibly pleasing to you, for we can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of Christ. In his name, we come to you. Amen. Amen.